Well, welcome, Springbrook family. Welcome to winter. And it has descended upon us. At 8 to 12 inches around this area. And the neat thing about this winter storm, it's an historic one. This winter storm is the largest winter storm before Thanksgiving, going all the way back before World War I. How do you like that, huh? History has been made. So I encourage you all to go out, your family, get a family picture in the snow, put it on Facebook and said, we were a part of the largest storm before Thanksgiving since World War I. <laughs> you see, you've got to give meaning to storms. They're just, they're just <laughs> difficult. But it makes you appreciate it more. You know, we did it. You get the T-shirt and everything. Funniest thing happened. Lori and I were watching a delayed uh, version of NBC Nightly News National. And they were doing a report on the weather. And Lori said, don't we know them? And I said, well, go back. And sure enough, we saw a picture of Eric Hartman here. Eric Hartman uh, attends our church, and he was on the national news. Now, that's big. Yeah, that's fun. In fact, he's here. Where's Eric? Where's Eric? Don't hide, Eric. There he is. Okay. <laughs> Way to go, Eric, man. What a wild weekend you have had. Uh, he is uh, one of the vice presidents for uh, Tovar Snow Plowing, and they plow our lot. And they also plow all of the Chicago schools' lots, like 650. They're in charge of uh, cleaning off the soldier field, <laughs> playing field uh, for today. Uh, they do a lot of different work. And I, I was talking to Eric, and he said yesterday he had received 400 calls. 300 were from angry postmasters because they cover that area as well and then another hundred were just from different people so he was about ready to go to bed for five hours and i called and he looked at it and said oh come on now <laughs> now rob emmanuel had called on the day before just to make sure everything was okay about these snowstorms you know taken care of <laughs> and so he says now my pastor's complaining about the uh, his lot and uh, so he picked it up. Oh, you're on TV. Oh, is that cool? Let's watch uh, the piece on this. Clouds out in full force this morning, removing the snow nearly as quickly as it was falling. Even with the temperature dropping tonight to the single digits, we want to make sure to get back down the pavement and then get a healthy amount of salt down before, you know, it freezes up tonight into tomorrow. In Let's give him a hand. All right. <laughs> You were so precise. You were so insightful. We just had to watch it a couple different times. So, <laughs> well, It's fun to rejoice with family when good things happen. Well, we are talking today about one of the most important questions that people ask about Christianity. And that is, is Jesus the only way? I mean, you've got Buddhism and Hinduism and... Confucianism and Islam. I mean, hey, aren't they all 
paths that lead to God? In fact, a study was done that showed that 37% of believers said God is the only way. So that's good. 37%. There's no other way but through Jesus Christ. Then, as a part of that survey, 52% of Christians say, oh, Jesus isn't the only way. (laughs) 52% of Christians. So we've got to clear up some confusion here, right? So easily we buy into the lies of the world because Jesus Christ made it very clear. This is all part of our apologetic series. Uh, We look at uh, the different... Messages that we're doing this month, how do you know God? How do you know there is a God? Why does God allow suffering? How do you know Jesus is the only way? That's today. Next week, how can you trust the Bible? Now, we're a disciple-making family, and so we want to help you. And what you need to do as a disciple, because in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So that's part of our responsibility. So when people say, oh, what's the big deal about Christianity? Well, you can review your notes and have them memorized and make a good reply to that because that's what we're supposed to do. And that's why we're going through this series First uh, Peter three fifteen is also our November memory verse, so I encourage you, leaders, small group and team leaders, to encourage everyone to memorize this verse uh, together and uh, make God's word uh, important in our lives. Elise Strobel uh, is a guy who worked for fourteen years at the Chicago Tribune as a staff writer, and he started a project where he was going to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And two years later, he became a Christ follower, which is very similar to other people who tried to do that. If you study study close enough, well, this is the truth. So eventually he went on to staff at Willow Creek and then went on to Saddleback, Rick Warren's church, and now he's an apologist at large. And he's just got tremendous books and all kinds of information about defending your faith. And today I'll be using his materials. And I would encourage you, maybe you have this kind of bent. Like my son Brian. My son Brian is 26 uh, years old. and Or 25, excuse me. And he just has a love for apologetics. I remember back when, I don't know, when he was a teenager, we went down to Chicago and got on one of the buses, and he would just start conversations wherever he went. I don't know where he got it from, but uh, (laughs) no shame. (laughs) And he would start talking, and quickly he'd get to the spiritual core, like, what do you think Jesus Christ is? And I'm looking over, what is he doing? (laughs) You know? And he's never been like that. He's just growing in that way. He wants to know more. He wants to understand different religions. So when he talks to people who are of different religions, he can answer uh, their questions. So maybe that's you. I would encourage you, if that's part of your rap, 
Go after it, man. I mean, there's so much great stuff on the Internet. Just type in Christian apologetics, and you'll find a lot of great information. And you can dig into it and prepare yourself. And you might be especially gifted in that area. Well, let's look at Jesus' statement. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive verse. In fact, that verse has been a stumbling block to many people in coming to Christ. But it's true. And therefore, they're just responding to Christ's claim. I mean, really, it's an outrageous type of thing to say, Hey, I am the only way to God. And because other people know that Christians teach this, they think that we're narrow, that we're bigoted, that we're, you know, prideful. Well, I can understand that, but when they really understand what Jesus Christ had to say, yeah, He is the only way. That's what we want to unpack today. In terms of understanding this, it's very important to understand the three great myths about religion. Three great myths. And that's why even Christians buy into this argument, being there more than one way to God. The first is all religions are basically the same. All religions are basically the same. So let's let's say you're out in Denver, Colorado, one of those beautiful mountains. Just you pick one out in your mind, and uh, on the top, God is there waiting to be worshipped. Now, at the bottom of the mountain, there are many different trails to get to God. You have Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and Confucianism and... It goes on and on, the different ways to get to God. But in our pluralistic society, our tolerant society, we say, hey, everybody's right. And where else would we say that, right? (laughs) Everybody's right. The people can have two diverse views and somebody's not right, somebody's wrong. Well, again, that's the problem with relative Truth, people picking out their own truth claims. Yeah, when you look at all world religions, there are some common similarities in regards to, uh, let's say, uh, values and the way that you should live out your life. But at the same time, when you look at Christianity compared to all the rest, there are some very, very unique things that put it in a special place. There's no way you can harmonize Christianity with any of the world religions because it's so different. And it's all about Jesus and the uniqueness of Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. When you think about other religions, it's all about doing something to appease God. Everybody knows they're a sinner, right? We know that deep down. So therefore, if we're going to make God happy, 
We have got to earn our way. We have got to do religious ceremonies. We have to go to church. We have to make pilgrimages. Uh, we need to bring uh, gifts to our gods, whatever it might be. So all the other religions are saying, Oh God, I'm reaching out to you. Would you please show me some grace and mercy? But Christianity is totally different. Because, you see, we're down here when we realize that we're sinners and that we are destined toward an eternity without Jesus Christ. And we realize that there's nothing that we can do that is going to impress God. God simply reaches down and says, Give me your hand. I want to save you. Now, if you're in that position, first of all, you have to realize that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do. And that's where most people get hung up. They said, well, I don't want to do something that everybody else can do. I want to earn my way. But that's the most challenging thing about becoming a Christ follower, realizing that uh, you don't have anything, realizing you are a sinner and realizing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. So all the other religions are... Help us, you know. We want to reach you, God. We want to please you. Where Christianity says God is reaching down and all you have to do is take His hand. All you have to do is trust in Him. All you have to do is commit your life to Him and you will become a child of God. Now, I would say that's a big difference between Christianity and other religions that uh, we study. That is kind of wrapped up in this different approach here. Other religions say, do. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. With Christianity, we say, it's done. D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus Christ did everything for us on the cross. And why is that? Well, you have to remember again, we talked about last week, that we're all sinful. And the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son into this world who was born of a virgin, so He didn't have a sinful nature, who lived out the law perfectly in His life in order that He might be a representative substitute for us. He was God and man. He lived out his life perfectly. So he was the one who could be a substitute. Of course, what they did is they hung him on a cross and they put all, or God put all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, everybody, all those sins came upon our Savior. And he suffered there, and God turned his face away because of that pain. But he paid the price. He died. He died for us in order to pay the price for our sin. Now, friends, when you look at the love of God and the desire of God to help us in this matter of salvation, you will find nothing in any other religions that say a God came down 
and gave his life for you. That's what makes Christianity so unique and so beautiful. I encourage you to write this stuff down. Of course, these are available on the Internet. But these are very practical things you can share with people who've asked this question. You know, there are a lot of contradictions when you look at different religions. Let's look at some of them. First of all, Christian theism, that's us, claims that there's only one God, personal and distinctly separate from his creation. So God is separate. He is holy. There's nothing like him. Or with pantheism, found in forms of Hinduism, for instance, claims that everything is part of the impersonal divine. See all the chairs there? God's in those chairs, right? According to some religions, pantheism, God is everywhere. We become a God if we're a Mormon. The Christianity is so unique in saying, no, there's only one God. He's unique. He's holy. He wants to have a relationship with us. So the question is, how does that happen? Well, again, God reaches down. He's paid the penalty, and we just have to offer our hand up. And for many people, pride is a problem. They will not offer their hand up because they will not get something for nothing. Because that means that they're not better than other people. That's what's unique about the the Bible and what it says. And, you know, I've studied through this many times. One of the biggest differences, again, is that God loves us. He loves us. He cares for each one of you. He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He knows all your struggles. He knows all your thoughts. No matter what you've done, He wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you and help you through life and escort you into eternity. And friends, you study other world religions and you will see nothing about a God who loves. You will see nothing about a personal God. Yeah, people pray to appease God. You know, all the gods are angry, one might say, until you bring them some type of sacrifice. But that's not our God. Our God loves us and wants to make a pathway uh, that we can take in order to have a relationship with Him. As you talk to people about this, that is very critical in defining us from other religions. We see here, Christian theism claims that there is only one God, personal and distinctly separate from His creation. Pantheon found in forms of Hinduism, for instance, claims that everything is part of the impersonal divine. An atheist claim there is no God. So you see the you see the contradictions in the fact that atheists say there's no God. Pantheon says everything is God, and we say there is one God. And again, our God is personal, and all the other gods are not. Now, what we have to talk about in relationship to understanding this 
is what we call uh, truth. What really is truth? The absolute truth is something that we know for sure. Something that is understood by the majority of people if they have, uh, again, taken a, a good look at it. But we live by absolute truth every day. I mean, let's say somebody asks you, what's two plus two? You say five. No. Hey, back off, man. That might be your truth. What do you think it is, four? Hey, okay, that's cool. You can call it four. I'll call it five. I'll call it seven. Because I have my own private truth claims. Let's think about a stoplight. A stoplight. You have three different colors in a stoplight. Let's just you say, I am just really tired of the way I've been driving for 20 years. I'm just, I want some different meaning to these, these lights. For example, red, that means you get revved up and go, go, go. And yellow, that's a wild card. You can do anything you want. And then green is grind to a screeching halt. Yeah, I like those better. They seem truthful to me. <laughs> Good luck for your car and for your health, right? Because that's absolute truth. We've determined these are the colors. And if you want to stay alive, I mean, really, just the fact that you drive the roadways of this area is saying everybody that I'm driving with understands absolute truth. Right? They're not going through stoplights. Uh, they're not uh, trying to you know, uh, hurt me in any way. Uh, they know where to stay in their lane. They don't know when to pass. There's some absolute truth there that you just can't say, well, I don't know about that. Well, you can say that. But again, there's going to be a lot of pain that comes. So the problem is, is that with relativism, People say, I can have my own personal truth, and I can celebrate that as long as it doesn't impact you in any way or hurt you. This is my truth. And that is just ridiculous, you know, because all of us live by absolute truth every day in everything that we do. Well... The second great myth that we must consider about the different religions is that all religions have equal claims on truth. There's a myth. All religions have equal claims on truth. Now, we're taught to be pluralistic. We're taught to be tolerant. And again, it's true to a certain degree. But if you look at our Constitution, our Constitution says that all religious viewpoints are equally protected. So you can have any crazy religion you want. You can make one up, and that's equally protected under the law. When people read that, they get confused, and they think equally protected means equally valid. And that's where they get that, get that kind of relative thinking and thinking, hey, you know, we have all these different religions and everybody can claim their own truth. It's 
So what's the problem with that? Well, that's not what the writers of the Constitution intended. Uh, many of them were Christ followers. And, and again, they said, well, <laughs> you know, and again, that's, of course, why they moved to this area in the first place is they wanted to uh, get away from religious persecution. So they weren't going to get over to uh, uh, America and say, well, you know, we can't have that religion, we can't have that religion. No, they said, we want freedom of religion. Now, they knew that eventually after everybody talked things out, hopefully people would come to the understanding of the absolute truth of Christianity. But again, it doesn't promise it. It doesn't promise it at all. So the question is, when you talk to other people, what is unique about Christianity? Well, we've talked about we have a God who is personal, a God who is one, and a God who loves us, a God who is holy. Now, if you look at Jesus Christ, there are so many proofs for the validity of the truth of Christianity You have one man here who lived. Now, there are 353 prophecies found in the Old Testament about who the Messiah was going to be. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those prophecies. In fact, modern science says that for Jesus just to fulfill Eight of those prophecies, not the 353. That'd be one in 1,017. So we're talking about a mathematical impossibility when we get up to 353. And yes, it was an impossibility, but God does the impossible, right? And He delivered the Savior. Just as he promised. In Psalm twenty two eighteen is a prophecy. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they clasp cast lots. Now that's a that's a prophecy. Well then we turn over to Matthew twenty seven thirty five, the actual crucifixion, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. So they say this was a prophecy, and Jesus Christ fulfilled it, plus the other 352, right? I mean, that shows the validity of Christ's claim. When you think about the miracles that Jesus Christ performed, there's all kinds we could refer to, but that also showed the validity The fact that he was God. And the most important thing, the key to the validity of Christianity is the resurrection. And without the resurrection, we might as well go home and watch the beginning of the Bears game. Right? But we don't do that, right? Because this is more important than the Bears, right? Amen. No, but the point is, is that if we don't have the resurrection, we just got a dead guy who claimed to be God, right? I mean, okay, made those claims and everything, but he's still dead. But no, he is not still dead. He is resurrected from the grave. 
It's an empty tomb. And you go to every other religious leader and you'll still find them buried in a tomb. So the guy who comes back, that's the absolute truth. That's the real guy. And you think, oh, well, resurrection didn't happen. Oh, I tell you, we give several sermons on that, on the proofs of the resurrection and proofs from history that it happened. 500 witnesses saw Jesus Christ after he died. So again, if you're skeptical, hey, dive in. The proofs of the resurrection in your Google search. And you'll see that it's very well established. There are many different documents that that was true as well. So friends, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's a reality. It's absolute truth. What's absolute truth? Something that corresponds with reality. And it does so in so many different ways. The third great myth is Christians are narrow-minded and arrogant. Yeah, I mean, if we're saying, hey, our way is the only way, sorry, guys. You're going to have to come through Jesus. People would think we're narrow-minded and bigoted. But again, if they take time to study it and look into it, and the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, they realize that it is totally unique. Uh, Lee Strobel shares an analogy about a couple that he knew that went into the hospital and they had a baby. And the baby had jaundice and the yellow skin and the eyes being yellow. And uh, so the doctor said, hey, this is something serious. We should take care of it, but, you know, it's okay. All we have to do is put the baby under a certain type of light and that will stimulate the liver, and you know, she'll be as healthy as ever. And the parents might say, well, that sounds awfully easy. Shouldn't we work harder at it? Shouldn't we take that baby and scrub it with soap and get that yellow off? And maybe we should just dip it in bleach in order to get rid of that yellow. That's a good idea. And the doctor says, oh, no. You're going to kill the kid. Listen, just trust me, this one thing. And they say, well, doctor, you have your truth, but we have our truth. We're going with our truth. We're just going to let it ride to see how it goes. And we think that it will take care of itself. That's our truth. So don't be pushing your truth on us. And the doctor says, please, please, you've got to trust me. Look at my degrees on the wall. I've been in, uh, in the uh, doctoring for 30 years. I've saved countless babies from jaundice. Will you trust me? That's a question Jesus is asking you. You've got all these doubts and these type of things we've talked about today. Hopefully this has helped you see more clearly why Christianity is so special and stands alone. Maybe they, you know, God's calling you. And it's kind of like the light is going on in your mind and you're starting to see things 
anew. God is working. You need to respond to Him. You need to take that hand that He's offering and you need to let Him pull you out of that pit so He can put you in His family. Yes, Christianity corresponds with reality. Let's look at this one more way. Let's say there's two country clubs. One country club is very, very elite. Uh, To be part of that country club, uh, you have to earn your way into membership. You have to pray. You have to read whatever sacred scriptures they have. You have to go through certain, certain pilgrimages to show that you're worthy of being part of that country club. You have to do a lot of stuff. So that's that country club. Now the other country club says, hey, anybody can come as long as you believe in Jesus. And Jesus already paid the price. It's not cost you a thing. Come on in, rich or poor, black or white. Just humble yourselves and right, walk right in. Now, two country clubs. Which one is more narrow-minded? Which one is more arrogant? Which one is more bigoted? I say, this is right. This has open doors saying, hey, come on in. We're going to take care of you because we love you. It's a drag to be part of this club. I mean, you have to work and work and you don't know if you're going to heaven and you don't have the resources that God wants to give you. And in the end, you'll spend up not going to heaven. That's why this question is so important. That we know how to answer it and also that we understand it ourselves. Now, there's some people who say, okay, if you say that Jesus Christ is the only way, what about people who are in other parts of the world who never hear the gospel? Of course, that's why we send missionaries out. We have missionaries in Japan and the Philippines and Mexico and many others that we support as a church. Why do we do that? Because people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But in the end, there might be some people who haven't heard it. What happens to them? Well, we don't have a concise answer for that. It's complex. There's something we just have to leave to God. In Romans 1, it talks about the fact that we can learn about God through creation. So those people who don't even know Jesus, uh, they know that there's something there. There's a designer, as we talked about. Something's there. And it says if you seek God, you know, you'll find Him. So all that to say, I'm resting on Genesis 18.25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. I trust God to be fair. He's the perfect judge for those people who haven't heard the Word of God. Because I know God. 
have experienced him. And he is, again, consistent with reality. You know, friends, someday each one of us are going to appear before a judgment seat of God. And if we've gone throughout our lives thinking, well, I don't need God. I want to do things my own way. That's a crutch. All those different things. I don't need you, God. You basically said to him, when you stand before that judgment seat, God is going to say, you know what? You decided not to need me on earth, and that's your eternity. I'm not going to be there for you. You want to be in that situation? I don't. I don't. Let's bring up that prayer. If you've been sitting through this time and you've really started to feel the pull of the Lord and say, yeah, this is... It's starting to make real sense. Look at this prayer. Heavenly Father, take all of my life. I choose you. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me for all of my sins. I no longer depend on my good works for salvation. Make me brand new. My life, it's not my own. And now it belongs to you. Thank you for new life. Renew my mind as I give you my life. All for you. And friends, if you pray this prayer with an understanding of the concepts, the sincerity of the heart, God will adopt you as his child. And there will be a celebration in heaven because you've made this decision to say Christianity is the absolute truth and I'm going to respond Let's pray this again, and if you feel so led, pray this silently with me. Heavenly Father, let's go back to the prayer. Heavenly Father, take all of my life. I choose you. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me for all of my sins. I no longer depend on my good works for salvation. Make me brand new. My life, it's not my own. It now belongs to you. Thank you for new life. Renew my mind as I give you my life all for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for people who've made that decision today. In fact, if I want to make that decision with all our heads bowed, I just raise your hand just to know if any of you made that decision today. Okay, I didn't see any hands, but uh, at the same time, please tell someone if you did make that decision. Tell me. Uh, tell the friend you came with. Because it's so important that once you make that decision, that you be encouraged in your new walk with God. We're going to have a time of prayer here. Uh, we realize that everything revolves around prayer trusting in God, giving our needs to Him. and uh, So we encourage everybody to come up who needs prayer. Again, I always say, <laughs> if God has something, done something good in your life, if you haven't shared it with somebody, 
you haven't fulfilled his purpose because he did it in order that he would get the glory. I had somebody come up in the first service who was rejoicing over something. And then if you have someone in need or you're in need or you made a decision to follow Christ, 